Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom to everyone who is joining us, and Shabbat Shalom especially to Shabbat Rachel. Shalom. We're so happy to have you with us again this morning. Um, we wanted to re-engage this really painful question of what is going on in Israel right now, and you so helpfully helped us to think through this um, current situation as a reflection of an open wound in Israeli society. And so, Rachel, we want to ask you this morning to reflect, to continue to reflect with us, to continue to teach us about the origins, about those um, initial building blocks that you laid out for the current open wound in Israeli society. Please, Bokertov. So, welcome so, to the clergy, to the audience in the room, to the people somewhere out there on the streaming, and maybe even people from Israel. Who knows? I shared your streaming link with some people here in Israel. So, let me now say shalom and shabbat shalom to everybody and start by sharing my PowerPoint presentation that and starts. Yeah. Rachel, yes. actually, my colleagues are reminding me before you start to share that we have a bracha to do, and I want to. I want to make sure that before, as we start to learn with you this morning, that this deserves a bracha for the gift of being together. All right. And with the Israeli flowers of with the, the Israeli flowers on the screen, Beautiful. it is a perfect way to do our bracha this morning. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kulana Yode Shemecha Velomde Toratecha Lishma Baruch Ata Adonai Hamelamed Torah Leamo Yisrael Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bacharbanu Mikol Hamim Benatalanu Et Torato Baruch Ata Adonai Notein HaTorah Amen So, thank you and let's get started. So we are starting with seasonal spring flowers from Israel to welcome to recognize the arrival of Nisan this week to us, Rosh Lekol HaChodeshim. And here we go. As we have sort of established a pattern last time, here is the picture of you over there. This time with Wes, it's an older picture. And now I am inviting you to two personal reflections. You may know if you are members of the Jewish people that even in the worst of times, we exercise our sense of humor. So already there is a beginning of jokes for these days and you may enjoy sharing one. So here is the Hebrew one. I'm letting the Hebrew speakers enjoy it for a moment. And quickly enough, I will introduce the translations. So these two people walking and one of them is asking the other, so where are you for Seder this year? And the answer is in a democracy, I hope. So, oh yeah, I know. So this is the kind of sense of humor that we are feeling and experiencing these days in Israel, so why not you? The other thing I wanted to share with you, smack back to your question 
uh, Rabbi Michelle from a few minutes ago. What am I doing tonight? What is my program? And you do realize that morning is long gone and this is like 3.30 in the afternoon for us. So it's coming pretty soon. Here is a poster, all in Hebrew, but I am reading. Ramat Sharon nilchemet dictatura. Ramat Sharon is fighting dictatorship, and you see a number of pictures, and you can see beneath the pictures that it says Shabbat, that everybody can read, and the date written the Israeli way, first the day, then the month, and then the time, which is 5 p.m. So this is an early, relatively early demonstration, and I will explain why and why we are going there. I normally go to Tel Aviv because you can see the speakers. So go to the bottom line. The top line is a Yalon who used to be a minister of defense in Israel in a Likud government, and he is speaking at the demonstrations. You can see Lihi Lapid the wife of Yair Lapid, former prime minister, and many others. I'd like, however, to draw your attention to the guy in the bottom line, second from the right. You cannot read it, but now maybe you can. Sgan Aluf Ophir Korazim, and in English, Lieutenant Colonel of Reserve Ophir Korazim. This is Yossi's son, my husband's son, not mine. I'm in a second marriage. And Ophir, having been a combat pilot for 25 years now on reserve, is going to be one of the speakers. So we are going to travel there first for an early demonstration. And then we are going to board the buses that will be there for all of us and join with everybody else at the Tel Aviv demonstration. So this is the program that I have tonight. And I'll give you a minute, dear clergy, if you have a question or something that you would like for me to elaborate on before we get started with our literature program. Rachel, I just, I wish you could hear, I don't know if you could hear, but there was a round of applause when you shared mm. about Ofer Korazim. And I just wanted to share that with you. We're so grateful mm -hmm. that you're there and that you're going to these actions. Okay, thank you. And his father is hearing that and enjoying it. And thank you very, very much. So we are going to be with Ophir uh, for an early phase in the demonstration and go all of us together to the larger one in Tel Aviv. And thank you for applauding that, for supporting that. And now to our topic. So you may remember that last week I presented four topics that are not the only one but four major issues in Israel's past that inform what is happening today, that are by, by and large somehow the deeper roots of the rift between Israelis, uh, Jewish Israelis mainly, but not only these days. So we focused on the right and left kind of crisis and tension around an event called the Altelena that you now all know about. And today we are going to the second topic that I have chosen, which will be probably more difficult, probably more painful for many, but also maybe questionable. Like Rachel, yeah, we do realize that there was an issue with the Palestinians, sometimes they are in 48, 49, how is that connected to what is happening today? So this is my real goal today, to show you how all this is connected to what we are having today. Next week will be Vadi Salib, and after that, the disengagement. So we are in the second phase of a four-chapter discussion about the roots 
of what we are experiencing today. In order to do that, so we have done one, we are doing the second. And in order to do that, I have chosen four pieces. I don't think we will have time for all of them and it doesn't matter. I just wanted you to have them and I emailed them at the beginning of the week. I hope they were shared. And if not, please make them shareable for people later on. No, everybody what has them. But that's good. What? Yeah, this is Temple Emmanuel. I shouldn't have doubted that. Okay. <laughs> I should know better by now. Okay. Uh, you know, that is over 10 years now that we have been working together. So I really should have known. My main goal is to discuss the first piece by Samachizhar, Chirbet Chiza. And hopefully, shortly at least, the first two poems, the Dan Pagis and the Taha Muhammad Ali. And if time allows, I'll give a moment to a poet, to a poet who is a contemporary, who is with us, who is my neighbor in Yafo, to see the connectedness uh, to the life of uh, Arab citizens of the state of Israel today. But we are going to give the major part of our time and attention to Khirbet Khize. And out of that piece, I will attempt to explain how these things are connected to what we are experiencing today. So here we go, Samich Izhar, as you can see, born in the year 1916 and passed away in 2006, like pretty long ago. On the right hand side of my screen, you will see a shot of the cover of a book. It's actually not even a novel, it's a novella, a short novel that was published in 1949. So if you know a little bit about the history of Israel, you will know that this is practically while the war of independence is still going on. The name of this Hebrew novel written by a Jewish Israeli writer, the name is in Arabic, Chirbet Chiza, the destroyed village of Chiza, which is not an exact real village, but from the documents and from reactions and from research, we know exactly which particular village did the author have in mind. Let me say an additional word about some Chizharis, Has Milanski in his full name. His major novel, if this is a short, a few tenths of pages novel or novella rather, he has a major two-volume book called Yemei Tziklag, The Days of Tziklag, which is the story of a unit of the Palmach, also War of Independence. And sometimes uh, we say that from the height of the days of Tziklag, some of the people were missing Chirbet Chizeh. What is the story of Chirbet Chizeh? The story of Chirbet Chizeh is about a small Palmach unit who is already at the beginning of uh, the War of Independence. Therefore, the IDF exists as well. So we shouldn't call them Palmach, although we know they are Palmach, because they are already IDF soldiers. And they receive an order to chase away, evacuate, let go the residents of an Arab village, a Palestinian village. And this is what they do, and this is the description. The way the novella is written is that you have one narrator voice who is reflecting on what is happening, 
who is telling us. So everything we see, we see through the eyes of the narrator figure that is as close as one can be to Samachis Har, but we never totally equate the narrator voice with the person who wrote this. So you may ask me, Rachel, so what is the other picture doing on your screen? And what does it have to do with the year 1978, which is like practically 30 years after the story was written? So that part is when in the year 1978, the Israeli television had worked for about a year on preparing a television movie based on the novel of Stamichiz Har, Hirbet and it is about to be screened on Israeli television. The story of how we are evacuating, kicking out, chasing away Palestinian residents of an Arab village that comes under Israeli rule during the War of Independence. And the story that transpires around that will be the one that will lead us to the connection to today. Okay? Is that a good deal? Let's go. Now, I just told you that the novella has 30 pages. I have on my screen, as you will be able to see, less than two pages of the poem about, of the story, about a page and a half. And this is the conclusion of the story. So you could think that this is a spoiler in case I want you to go on Amazon and immediately order the Kindle edition of Herbert Riza, which is what I have on my Kindle, because I do not have any more place <laughs> in my in my study for any more paper books so i have the hebrew ver the hebrew original uh, in paperback but i i have the english in digital format no it's not a spoiler if you are a smart reader you know from page 1 how it will end so why not get access to the end and then start reading how this bunch of chevre young people 1920 at the time we have no right, Moshe, to kick them out of Israel. I didn't want my voice to tremble. And Moshe said to me, you are starting with that again? And I realized that nothing would come of it. It seemed such a shame, such a crying shame. The first transport had already moved off without my noticing and was climbing the big dirt track. If only I could go from one to the next and whisper to them, come back, come back tonight. We are leaving here tonight and the village will be empty. Come back. Don't leave the village empty. At once, the second transport moved off to the one with the women who decorated the truck with the blue of their dresses and the white of their headscarves. And a single whale rose aloft and was inserted into the sobbing of the heavy truck that grated and grabbled its way in the wet sand. And the blind man would surely be forgotten here by the roadside. It was the afternoon. Against the tranquility of the sky leaped the anger of the wind that darkened and the day and foretold new rain. Tomorrow or the day after, here and there in the village, there was a trail of white smoke from damp materials that refused to burn and refused to go out. 
and would go on smoking like this, half-burning for a few days, until suddenly a wall or roof would collapse. A cow bellows somewhere. When they reached their place of exile, night would already have fallen. Their clothing would be their only bedding. Fine. Just look at that line. Fine. What could be done? The third truck uh, began to ramble. Had some astrologer already seen and conjuncture of the stars in the sky over the village or in some horoscope how things would turn out here? And what indifference there was in us, as if we had never been anything but peddlers of exile, and our hearts had coursed in the process. But this was not the point either. And how does it end? The valley was calm. Somebody started talking about supper. Far away on the dirt track, close to what appeared to be its end, a distant darkening swaying truck in the manner of heavy trucks laden with fruit or produce or something was gradually being swallowed up tomorrow both painful humiliation and helpless rage would turn into the kind of casual irritation shameful but fading fast everything was suddenly so open so big so very big and we had all become so small and so ins insignificant soon time would arise in the world when it would be good to come home from work to return exhausted to meet someone or walk alone to walk saying nothing all around silence was falling and very soon it would close upon the last circle. And when silence had closed in on everything and no man disturbed the stillness, which yearned noiselessly for what was beyond silence, then God would come forth and descend to roam the valley and see whether all was according to the cry that had reached him. I will address the first page, I will address the vocabulary, I will address the voice, but I need to start from the end. Because if you know your book of Genesis, then you know that this is a quote. And let me bring it on the screen for you, just in case you are missing it. Here it is. It's from the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. Erdana I will descend now and see whether according to her cry, which is Hamkumi, they have done, I will wreak destruction upon them. And if not, I will know. This is a very clear allusion to the story of Sodom Vamora, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cry came up to God. And just in case you missed it, the verse before the one that Samishizhar is quoting, just give me a second there, sorry. Uh, there it goes. I hope you can see it at the bottom. 
So we are we just read verse 21 and the one before that is the one describing Sodom. And the Lord said, verily, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and verily their sin is exceeding grievous. So in his writing, in his conclusion of his book, novella, about Chirbet Chiza, Samich Yizhari say, we are the perpetrators of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is the cry of the people that we have kicked out that God will hear when later he will come visiting in the valley. And if I take you back to the first page of this, which I want to do, then here we go, just a minute. If I take you to the first page, you will note very clearly as the story evolves, first of all, we have this narrator voice who is trying to do something, who is attempting in his mind at least, but never doing it, to stop it, to change the course of history. There is another voice that says, oh, stop with that already, you know? And then there is that vocabulary, transport, trucks, exile, perpetrators of exile. This is our vocabulary. We are the ones who were sent on exiles. We are not people who are sending others on exiles. We are the ones who have been transported to places in transports. We are not supposed to do that to others. So in the very clear way already in the year 1949, where the battles have barely abated, that Samech Yizhar is saying something very bad is happening here. And I'd like to stop here because I was asked to do that. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. I, I, I wanted to ask you the question, if you could unpack for us the two voices, because I see reflected here, and again, from last week, where you showed us there really were two voices um, then one, don't give them the guns, don't send them to war, don't have them go against each other. And the other says, well, this is life. This is reality. This is what we need to do if we want a country, if we want to be safe. And I'm struck and by this, this is image exactly of... What yeah, I, I just is struck exactly by the... What Moshe, yeah, this is the Moshe voice in the story. And throughout the novella, the Moshe voice will stop every single quote-unquote whining of the narrator voice when, when one of the soldiers we just, with no reason, is shooting a donkey, just like that. Or when the narrator voice is running after a group of people with a jerry can of water and say, take, take it. It's a hard day today. Take it. So these seem to me to be these two instincts within our Jewish neshama. And it's laid out here in terms of the exile, because on the one hand, you have the one who experiences the exile and sees, but wait a minute, that's us. That's our story. I see in those who are being evacuated from their village, my bubby, right? I see that this is our story. And you have the other voice who says, you know what? Bubby made a new life. They'll make a new life too. How do we hold both of those voices? By going on demonstrations <laughs> tonight and this afternoon and next week when the voice that you strongly believe and stand by 
is not being heard enough or where you are afraid that we will go too much to the other side. And I want you to remember that the voice who is expressing humanity was among the soldiers is not somebody who defected. He's not somebody who was not part of the battle. He just said, but do it differently. They don't need to be kicked out. You know, the, 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 there, there is a way of doing stuff. And this is what being lamented. What, of course, is surprising is the time, 1949, like as early as that. And the other thing that I need to tell you about it is that there was no objection in 49. People read it. The VAR was publishing it in sections, you know, and people read it. There was no problem. The problems will start in 78. Do you still have another question maybe or comment? I just I was really struck <coughs> that the the response to Moisha's concerns is not to say that you know there've been a lot of terrorist actions against us we have to maintain security this is necessary this is essential any sort of justification is just like stop complaining which feels like a very empty um response and it was interesting for me to hear that even the response is just like, just stop, but there's no explanation on that side. There's no explanation needed. Explanation is needed when you live outside of Israel. The Moshe and the narrator voice have experienced the whole experience. He knows what had happened, what had transpired. The one who wants to help, just like Moshe knows. They have been through the battles together. They hold in their hand the evacuation written command. They both know it. This is what the army expects. And Moshe says, enough already. We have heard you guys, enough. Gamarno. The background is known. These are people who are part of it. They don't need to be taught a lesson about Palestinian attacks or terrorism. That, that was your choice of word. There was a war going on at that time. Okay. Right. Is that helpful in any way? Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, can I now take you to how this transpires and how it connects to where we are today? Please. Okay, I will do just that. Oh, yeah, sometimes that happens, so just bear with me for a minute. And let's hope for the best. Yeah, here we go. So we ended the story with a very clear poetic equation to the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not an easy thing to do in a Jewish writing about these events. And now years go by, the story is known, it's not hidden. And now comes the year 1978 and Israeli television is preparing a film about Herbert Chiza. Here is, Lisa, where explanation is needed. Mm -hmm. Because I need to explain the meaning of 78. Mm -hmm. What do I mean when I say 78? When the movie is prepared in 76 or 7, you know, whatever, however long it takes to research and, and put on, you know, we have one type of government, and at the end of 77, we have already a right-wing government, right? So when the time for the movie comes to be screened, 
we have other people in power. And so just the digits, those four digits are so important. We switched, if you wish to use the story, to the Moishas. Okay? We are switching now there and let us go there and see what transpires. So a Israeli television is preparing to do that. A, that powers that be had changed. Mm. Just a minute. Okay, so th these are not the real soldiers, you know. We don't have pictures of the real soldiers. It's just a novella. These are actors who are preparing the movie, the TV movie. And now I'm letting you read an article written not at the time, written in 2008 when we are reflecting on how things are happening. So this is already pretty recent, but it's still relevant. The article is called The Price of Return by Noach Efron. It's available in English. I can send you all this stuff. Early in 1977, director Ram Levy persuaded the Israeli Broadcasting Authority to sponsor a made-for-television movie of the novella. And filming got underway by spring during filming on May 17, Menachem Begin, the Kud came to power. When the film was supposed to be aired in January of 78, the government postponed the broadcast, but then the new air date neared. The new education minister, Zvolun Hamer, of the National Religious Party, canceled the broadcast altogether. All hell broke loose. Opposing the ban on Khirbet Chiza, member of Knesset Yossi Sarid, left wing, merits, okay, declared that the flag of freedom of speech in Israel has been lowered to half mast. It's going to take a lot to hoist it back up again. Okay, this is 78. What transpires? What happens? I can give you a Hebrew article, could not find the equivalent in English. I looked at the Jerusalem Post, so I will translate. The title, the Supreme Court will review the plea against Minister of Education Zvulun Hamel for stopping the screening of Herbert Chize. The movie was not screened on the night it was supposed to because the minister said no. Then they appealed to the Supreme Court during the time that it was supposed to be screened and wasn't, the Israeli television blackened its screens for the whole hour that it was supposed to be screened. Next week, they are going to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court allows and it will be screened. Can you hear the conversation already between government and Supreme Court as early as 78? Who gets to decide? Do you see the connections? And if that was not enough, where does Yosef Sarid get that metaphor of the flag of freedom of speech? For that, I need to take you slightly back in time from 78, but after the original writing of Hirbet Chiza. So I'm showing you a weird picture and it's a broken part of the building, is it not? And the only thing that can be seen somehow clearly is the digit 1953, uh, 1953. And it is still there on a practically, you know, falling apart 
entrance to an office building. And the question is why? What's so precious? And who took the trouble to scribble in a wet cement these four digits? For that, I need to take you back to the year 1953, when around the death of Stalin, Secretary Morgenthau in your United States of America is saying that the one following Stalin is even worse. And there is a meeting with Abba Eben and Abba Eben promises allegedly, it was all false news, but it created a lot of news, that Israel will place 200,000 soldiers under the command of the USA if need be because of the worsening. I mean, this is nuts. It never really should have been said or aired, but it's published by Haaretz. Creates a lot of noise. It's all following Stalin's death. And what happens is that a, we have the Haaretz article about the Morgento saying or not having said whatever. The following day, Kol Ha'am, a newspaper of the Communist Party in Hebrew, with its Arabic other version, they are publishing an article, let Abba Evan go to war. He wants to send 200 soldiers, this militaristic Ben-Gurion party, no way, let him go to work, we are not letting. Very communist, very socialist, very anti-US. I'm not supporting that, just telling you the story. The Minister of Interior closes down Kola'am and Al-Iltihad. Arabs should not talk like that. This is dangerous to the country. They appeal, guess what, to the Supreme Court. And now we have, a, this is the article in English. I am not going to waste time on that. It's exactly what I told you. Basically, let Abba Ivan go to battle on his own. All right? And now we come to the trial with Justice Agranat, born in the States by you studied law in Chicago, the only people of American roots in the courts those days. And Agranat says the following in his ruling. And this is what I need to read for you today because it's as beautiful as poetry. In Kol Ha'am precedence, Justice Agranat has stated for the first time in an official Israeli document that although the Declaration of Independence is not truly a constitution, its values are legally binding. The things declared in the Declaration of Independence, and especially those about the founding of the state on the principles of freedom and the ensuring of the freedom of conscience mean that Israel is a state aspiring for freedom a, although the declaration is not a constitutional law, but it expresses the vision of the people and its credo. Therefore, it is our obligation to pay attention to the same things it had declared. And when we are about to interpret and make meaning of the laws of the state, including those that were created during the British mandate and were adopted by the state following its establishment, it is a well-known axiom, axiom that the law of the people should be studied as a reflection of its national life system. From what is written in the Declaration, we can assume that Israel is a democracy. 
Thus, the privilege and values without which a democracy is not possible must be applied. And first and above all, these privileges is the freedom of expression. The principle of freedom of expression is strongly bound to the democratic process. A simple understanding of the democratic regime automatically results in the application of the principle of freedom of expression in any state that is founded on such regime. This elevated privilege together with its companion, the privilege of the freedom of conscience are the preconditions for the realization of all other freedoms. Now put the whole package, if you will, together, okay, for me. This is like the main part. And we have Pnina Lahav from a university in Boston in her book about judgment in Jerusalem, where she appreciates what Agranat had done that day as a building block of the justice system and the building block of Israeli democracy, okay? So once we had that, this will be the most quoted ever a judgment and ruling in Israel. And it now puts the whole package for you, I hope. A story is written in 49. It describes ill doings of the states towards its Arab citizens. It is being picked up by Israeli television, mind you, the educational television, as something that is needed to be shared with our students. By that time, the regime does not want it to be aired, does not want this type of stories to come out. And the people who do want to make a point there, their only way to go is the court, the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court will give them the right to do that, as it had done a few years before with the Kol Ha'am presidents. While we can totally oppose the communist opinions of the Kol Ha'am paper, it's immaterial. It's around that case that we heard for the first time in an official document that Israel is a democracy. It was not declared by the Knesset. It was not declared by any of our governments in an official document before that. It's the Supreme Court who had done that for us. Do you understand why we cherish it so? Why it is so important? Let me give you a minute or so to, re to react to that and maybe we can conclude with, I don't think we will have time for the poems, but maybe a song. Go ahead, Billy, please. Yeah, Rachel, so the Supreme Court here, having made this declaration of the democracy itself, um, when you now are coming into current events and you're thinking about the challenge against the authority of the Supreme Court, um, therefore that becomes, I just wanna make sure I'm understanding, therefore that becomes synonymous with the attack on democracy itself. Am I it understanding is an attack you? of democracy. We do not have a constitution. We do not have a separation of church and state. Our executive totally holds the legislator in its hands. We do not have separate a separation of the different branches. Our only access are the courts. And so um, when you look at 
who is out on the streets? Can you tell us who, you know, is it just the left wing out oh, there? No. Is it who's who's out saying we're fighting oh, for the courts? No. Oh, no, you have on the street observant people. You have, to me, decent Likudniks. We will have Elon speak tonight. He was a minister of defense in a Likud government. He is not left wing. He is as right wing as they come. And Gidon Saar, who totally opposes that, who was minister of justice in the previous government, and totally out and out, they are right wing people. They are left wing people. Actually, Israel doesn't have a left wing anymore. Centrist, like the Lapid, like his wife is going to talk. Ophir Yossi's son is not left wing at all. He's very mainstream. Very mainstream. He will be very angry with me for telling the story of Herbert Chiza. Okay? But we are still there, out there to protect our judiciary because that's the only one. And making comparison to other countries needs to be done very, very carefully because there are so many differences that make the, the importance of safekeeping the judiciary that much more important in Israel. Mm. Okay? Okay. We're, please continue. Okay, so one poem, right? Yes, please. When do we need to conclude? We need to end by 9.15 to 9.20. We have our feed ah, okay, only okay. until 9.20. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's absolutely great. Because I really want to do at least one poem. And there is plenty of time for that. So let me introduce to you Taha Muhammad Ali or Muhammad Taha Ali from Sephoria originally, but then Sephoria was destroyed in 1949 and he was expelled from there as a teenager and he ended up living in nearby Nazareth. And he becomes an amazingly interesting Arab citizen of the state of Israel who wrote amazing poetry. He passed away in the year 2011, so not that long ago. And uh, this is a recollection. By the way, if you have no idea where Sephoria is, I will challenge you on that because you do not know that you know where Sephoria is. Because if you ever went to Tsipori, to see the beautiful excavations and the beautiful mosaic of the Mona Lisa of the Galilee, and I trust some of you have done that, your bus didn't stop by the ruins of Sephoria next by, but it's there. And let us read the poem, There Was No Farewell by Taha Muhammad Ali. We did not weep when we were leaving, for we had neither time nor tears and there was no farewell. We did not know at the moment of parting that it was parting. So where would our weeping have come from? We did not stay awake all night and did not doze the night of our leaving. That night we had neither night nor light and no moon rose. That night we lost our star. Our lamp misled us. We didn't receive our share of sleeplessness. So where would wakefulness have come from? A pure lamentation trying to convey 
maybe not so much the pain, although it's there, but rather the confusion of a teenager who later, maybe as an old man, is asked, so what was it like for you that night? Were you weeping? And he comes to the knowledge and says, you know what? I was not even weeping. We didn't get it. It was such a striking blow. We lost our light. We lost our star. We lost our direction. Because where Taha Muhammad Ali lives or lived his life is about 15 minutes ride from where his village used to be. And on top of that village, a new moshav was created. And on top of the buildings, a JNF forest was planted. And we were so proud of those. And never let Muhammad Tahali visit his olive orchard after that. Let us turn in conclusion to a Jewish voice, also from those years, the early years, 1955, Dan Pagis, and the touching part is that Dan Pagis himself was a teenager during the Holocaust. So the same generation as Taha Muhammad Ali. And he sees those villages. When you come to the dead silence, to the stones and the mud walls, to the beheaded dead village, to the trembling ashes, to the abundant rustle among the thorns, clouds of, of memory over your head, heavy with anger, mountain and rising, the falcon of hatred drops suddenly, wings spread like a cross above you, it claws like sun knives chasing your steps. As early as 55, as early as 49, there were people amongst us who saw and bear, were witness and threatened about the hatred that will come out of this, about the injustice, about the need to listen. If we listen, we will not need only the court to protect the rights of those that need to be protected, but we need to make sure that we have a system where those voices will be heard and justice will be given to them as much as possible. So Rachel, we have a song that uh, you had asked Elias to prepare to sing. And just as we go to that song, one quick word from you. Here we stand in America. You're going out on the streets tonight. What can we do from here? Read Khirbat Khiza. Read the poetry of Dan Pagis. Look up the poems of Taha Muhammad Ali. There is even a beautiful video clip where he reads uh, one that is called Vengeance that is not about vengeance at all. T learn, learn, get to know, understand the complexity of the voices. Well, thank you Please. for helping to teach us today. Elias. Metsuyan, Metsuyan. Lemon, baby, I
of love, because of my brothers and friends, because of my sisters and friends, please let me ask, please let me say, peace to you. This is the house, the house of the Lord. I wish the best for you. This is the house, the house of the Lord. I wish the best for you. Thank you, Rachel. We'll see you next week. Until we meet again. May it be a Shavua Tov for you very soon. Amen. Amen. Bye-bye.